Good morning, Evanston Bible Church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have been so kind to us, God. You brought us to this place. You awakened us this morning, and, and you allow us to be together to not just hear your word, but, Father, to just worship you. And, and we know that when we worship you, you're paying attention, uh, for you tell us that you're seeking those who worship you. So, Father, we continue in worship today, and we ask that you would speak in your own voice, with your own word, God, have your way in us. And, Father, as we uh, hear you, help our hearts to be transformed. Uh, help my own limitations to not hinder whatever might be necessary for the hearts of any person in this room, Lord, but that you would be glorified is our aim. May the words of my own mouth and the meditations of my own heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, I am excited to be with you this morning. Um, meet me in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I, I do have to say uh, I'm grateful that John was so gracious in his, uh, his, his introduction of me, but I'm thinking to myself, I, I could have thought of a lot of people who would do this better than I would. So, um, you know, I'm just grateful to be here this morning. That was supposed to be a joke, but I really could have. <laughs> I really could have. <laughs> but, but I'm grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We'll, we'll read verses 1 through 7 for the fuller context, but we'll primarily wrestle with just a thought in verse 4. So forgive me for those of you who are strong exegetes of the passage. We won't fully exegete this passage this morning. We want to just take us through a particular thought that I would like to bring to your attention this morning. But now, uh, I am grateful to be here. I do want you to know that uh, I've been a, a watching from afar what's happening at Evanston Bible Church, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm just glad to see that in this space, there's a congregation in this city who really loves the gospel. And so it's been fun to watch. Um, I'm looking forward to your pastor coming. Um, I want to introduce before I get started, uh, I'm not alone here today, but with me is my wife and two of my children, my wife Lisa right there, and then my uh, 15-year-old son and my 13-year-old daughter, Jonathan and Nia, uh, when you get a chance, shake their hand. I have another son, 19 years old. He's in college in Missouri, uh, at Missouri Baptist University. I wanted to introduce them before I got started, and, um, and, and please feel free to uh, speak to us when, when we leave, although we probably will run right out to get her to where she needs to be. Um, while you, I think you've gotten Revelations 2 by now, but let me say this. Um, I, I do want to congratulate you guys, by the way, on your win over Michigan State yesterday. So good for you. Um, good for you. I always like to see Northwestern win. I, I like to see, you know, I don't mind when teams win, but I am also to be congratulated because my team won yesterday. I am a Miami Hurricane, and we were that close to not... <laughs> not getting it. Yeah, see, that's love right there. That's love. That's what we're talking about, love. Receiving people different. Y'all clap for that. Miami Hurricanes, right? So <laughs> the you, it's all about, y'all know what it is, right? It's all about. That's right. See, that's right. That's right. No, no, no. Now, John Lucas, he's got some problems over there. He's, he's going like this. We, we don't do gators. We don't do gators here. No, this is, this is, this is, you know, when you get up and preach, you can talk about that, but this is, this is, my, this is the you today, baby. <laughs> so I congratulate you. You congratulate me. I'm grateful to be here. Um, I want to thank Pastor John for inviting me and the elders for just allowing me to be here with you today. Um, it really is a privilege, and I know that you guys are working hard right now to, uh, you know, just 
situate yourself for the future. And I know that that takes its way uh, right now as you're looking for a senior pastor. I'm praying for you through that. And as you're looking for other leaders who uh, would, would come and join Evanston Bible Church. Uh, Pastor John did mention that uh, you're hoping to be encouraged to step into transformed relationships and loving all people here in the congregation. And, and so it might not seem so by this passage, but I do hope that we might peer into Revelation chapter 2, the revelation of John, and gain some foresight and insight into stepping into those relationships. Uh, the Revelation of John, chapter 2, where Jesus begins to speak to the seven churches in Asia. You're probably very familiar with the passage. And the first congregation he speaks to is that one of Ephesus. John, the apostle, he interprets the vision that he has from the Lord Jesus while he was exiled on an island, the island of Patmos. And I believe that there's a word from God to us there in Revelation chapter 2. So, Listen to what John says as we read the text. I know you all read from the English Standard Version, so I've followed suit here. Let's read verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And for just a few minutes, I want to talk to you from the thought a love for all the saints, a love for all the saints. The church at Ephesus was started by Paul on his third missionary journey. And, and this letter that, 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 he, that, we are, that was written, he wrote a letter around 60 AD to Ephesus. And around, it's around 30 years before John writes what we just read. And for the most part, they continued, Ephesus did, to serve God well. Their accomplishments were quite extensive, but Jesus actually chides them because something was missing. And I believe what he says to them helps us, the churches today, learn this truth, that we love God most completely only when we love the saints of God most completely. We love God most completely only when we love the saints of God most completely. It was at Ephesus where the church witnessed God's work through Paul's ministry 30-some years ago. It was so strong, Paul's ministry was, that the Bible says in Acts 19.11 that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And in Acts 19 and 12, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that touched Paul's skin 
were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. It was at Ephesus that an evil spirit caused one man to attack Jewish exorcists who tried to cast him out. The spirit speaking through the man, the spirit that was in the man speaking through the man said, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? He says to these seven men. And since they weren't connected with Jesus, the Bible says he attacked them and left them bleeding. And the Bible says that both Jewish people and Greek people had great fear of the Lord right there at Ephesus because of that event. It was at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and 18 that people who believed in Jesus came confessing their sins and changing their life's practices. And the Bible says in verse 20 of Acts chapter 19 that the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. In other words, Ephesus early on had shown great love for Jesus. And they demonstrated that love by giving up their old ways and holding on to God's truth and not false truth. And here now, 30 to 40 years later, they continued, it seemed, to demonstrate a love for Jesus. But there was one other thing they had started with, but now had left it behind. In fact, Jesus says to them, if they did not return and retrieve it, he would remove their lampstand from its place. Now, the lampstand in verse 5 there that Jesus speaks of is actually first spoken of in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus explains to John in that chapter that these lampstands are the seven churches in Asia. And when John encounters Jesus in this vision in verse 12 of chapter 1, he sees Jesus standing in all of his glory and power. You've probably read it. In all the middle, in the very, right there in the middle of the seven golden lampstands, John describes Jesus in this way. Revelations chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Jesus was like the Son of Man. He was attempting to describe the divinity of Jesus, that he was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, attempting to describe the high priestliness of Jesus, that the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow, describing the radiance of Jesus. His eyes were like a flame of fire, describing the discerning truth and justice in which Jesus, that Jesus holds. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, describing that Jesus one day will judge the world and the earth. And his voice was like the roar of many waters, attempting to describe that Jesus was very powerful. In his right hand, he held seven stars. The stars that Jesus held were actually the messengers and the leaders of the church. And, and John was attempting to describe the fact that Jesus was holding them in, 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 in his right hand, which is his hand of authority and protection, saying that Jesus then is the one who watches over the messengers of the churches. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword describing that Jesus is and speaks the word of God. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength, describing Jesus' overwhelming glory. Through his description, John was communicating two realities. First, he was showing us Jesus in his complete 
and glorious state. And second, he was showing us that Jesus relates to the churches in each of these five, those ways that I just mentioned. So it is an incomplete thought then to think of Jesus as only high priestly and disseminating all love and all acceptance at all times, never without any other attribute to define him. And it is equally diminishing to think of Jesus as only a judge who's only looking to crush people in evil. It, it is not good to do that. Rather, the many aspects of our Savior show that he's all of those things all at once. He is a high priest and he is judge of all the earth. And that's the Jesus who's getting ready to tell the church at Ephesus, who indeed tells the church at Ephesus what they're missing. And Jesus explains to John in verse 20 that the lampstands that he's standing in between represents the churches. The image of the lampstands in chapter 1 intends to represent the fact that the churches of Jesus Christ bring to light, bring light to the world. That that's what we're here for. That's what you're here for. That's why Evanston Bible Fellowship exists. No different from the church at Ephesus. That we are here as churches, as the church, to bring light to a dark world. And the fact that Jesus stands in the center of them is representative that he is indeed the glorious high priest in the churches who mediates our final position with God the Father. And it is that Jesus, that Jesus with the authority, who is the authority and protector of the churches, who is the judge of the church, this priest who is the mediator for us, this is the one who speaks to the seven churches and begins his, his, his talk here at Ephesus. Jesus tells them what it is, the Ephesian church. He tells them what it is they don't have anymore. And what he says to them, he means for us also. And he says this so that we might be careful of it also. He says in verse 4 of chapter 2, of all of those things you're doing right, he says in verse 4, this one thing can cause you to be, have your lampstand removed. And he says, you have left your first love. That's what some of your Bibles say. Now, whenever we hear this phrase, left your first love, we assume or have heard that it means that Ephesus had left the love of Christ behind. Now, we know some of us know that the, more, the phrase is more accurately represented when it says you've left the love you had at first. And nearly everywhere this is explained, whether you say it one way or the other, you've left your first love or you've left the love you had at first, people say that the Ephesian church left their love for Jesus Christ. And while that may be true to a degree, it seems to me that Jesus must mean something else. Why? Because he had just celebrated them. He had just told them about how proud he was for working hard in their church while they patiently waited for his return. How they tested the apostles and were holding up under persecution and stress all for Jesus. How they did not tolerate wicked people in their church and how they endured hardship all for the name of Jesus. It did not seem to me that loving Jesus was really their problem. 
Instead, I think we do well to let Scripture interpret Scripture and look into the book of Ephesians itself. Feel free to, feel free to turn there if you choose. There, I, I think we'll see more clearly why Jesus, after all they were doing right, was willing to remove their lampstand from its place for this one thing that they had stopped doing. See, in Ephesians chapter 8, verse 1, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 1, rather, over 30 years earlier, Paul wrote to the church sharing with them about all the spiritual blessings they had. You see that in chapter 1. And how they were brought back by God and how they were now going to inherit heaven and earth because they trusted in Jesus. While he tells them this, he gives us what I think Jesus means when he said, you've left the love you had at first. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering me, remembering you in my prayers. What we see here is that at the time that Paul wrote his letter, the Ephesian church had a great faith in Jesus, but a love for all the saints to match. And it makes perfect hermeneutical sense. That word simply means a, a way to interpret. It's, it's about interpretation, right? It makes perfect interpretational sense to understand that what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus some 30 to 40 years later in the book of Revelation is that your faith in me is still standing strong, but your love for all the saints of God around you has been left behind. While I know that's not how it's been interpreted, that way seems quite fair that we would interpret it that way. One reason I say this is because the Apostle Paul says a similar thing two other times in the New Testament to Christians and to churches. In Philemon chapter 1 verse 5, Paul says, because I hear about your love, listen, for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And again, he, he says to the church at Colossae in, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 4, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. There's a New Testament pattern, a New Testament theme that talks about the fact that you, yes, you might love God, but you're also demonstrating love for people and that is what pleases God. And the New Testament theme seems to indicate that if you're not loving people, then you're really not loving God. In specific, if you're not loving the people of God who are around you, then you cannot truly say that you're loving God. And what Paul's letter in Ephesians seems to show is that the Ephesian church, even at that time, may have begun to struggle with holding on to love. In Ephesians, he told them to remember that you aren't strangers and foreigners anymore, separated from the Jews who at one time you had strained relationships with. But instead, now Jesus has broken down the wall that separated you. 
Because of Jesus, you Jews and Gentiles are fellow citizens, and you as fellow citizens need to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, he says in Ephesians 4 and 3. And the danger of us as Christians is that we don't endeavor to maintain unity. And we can be fooled into thinking that we are loving God when we're not even loving one another well. Amen? That's a danger. That's a danger. And for that reason, Jesus says, I will remove the lampstand from its place. In other words, in other words, he allows our churches to die or to close or to be ineffective in their cities. So please hear me, friends. The New Testament principle is that we love all of God's people, but especially those within the family of God, and that if we're not doing that well, then we cannot be a proper witness for the rest of the world. If you don't have good community here, then why would I invite someone to be a part of the body of Christ? Why would I? And why would they come? They can find that dissension, that hatred, that way we engage one another out there. And we've lost our salt. We've lost our light if we don't love one another well. Consider what John says to another church in 1 John 4 and 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, John is pretty harsh. John says, he's a liar. For he, does not, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., not speaking of God's people but of our enemies, says it like this. He says, it is significant that Jesus does not say like your enemy because Jesus tells us to love our enemy, right? He says it's significant that Jesus doesn't say like your enemy. Like is a sentimental thing, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people I find it difficult to like. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me and other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus says, love them. And love is greater than like. Love is understanding redemptive goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. And you refuse to do anything that will defeat an individual because you have agape in your soul. That was King's statement. I appreciate that statement. The way I like to say it is that God always calls us to, to love, to reach out to four kinds of people. He calls us to reach people who are like us, and he calls us to reach people who are not like us. And the third kind of person is he calls us to reach people who don't like us. And then he calls us to reach people who we don't like. That seems to cover everybody. People who are, not, are like us, who are not like us, people who don't like us, and who we don't like. And God calls us to love all of those people. All of those people. And Jesus says to this church, if you do not return to love, I will remove your lampstand from its place. Now, what does this apply to us? It may be possible. This is just one potential application. You'd have to consider it for yourself. 
that this is applying to us as we consider the climate of the American church. And at this time, there does seem to be a, a, a volatile spirit, certainly in American life, but even in the local church sometimes, that is spurred on by our political, social, and racial alignments. That even as Christians, quite often, we're more likely to align ourselves with our political, social, and racial groups than we do with our Lord Jesus. Amen? We can see this borne out in social media quite easily, but as of late, we know that back in March, the New York Times wrote an article about black people leaving evangelical congregations. And just a few months earlier, John Piper responded to Christian rapper Lecrae. These are just examples. Not, they don't prove anything. They're just observations, right? Just a few months earlier, John Piper responded to Christian the rapper Lecrae on his desire to leave evangelicalism. And one year prior to that, there were four different people, notable people of color, speaking of leaving evangelicalism. And of course, the question one might have is, what is it that they actually want to leave? And, and why do they want to leave? And, and it's for them, based on the things I heard, it's because for them, the love that is spoken of within our own movements as evangelicals, and we, this church is a part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. In fact, just a few weeks ago at the, at the national office, we actually had a discussion on, on, on being evangelical and, and why a person ought to be evangelical and whether we should remain evangelical. Not, not the denomination, we're not looking to change the name, but we wanted to have the discussion because some have raised the question, maybe we should change the name. And I don't believe we should change the name. I don't think that's going to do us any good. I don't think I, you can change the name, and if your heart doesn't change, you still carry over with it whatever you name yourselves after that. That's what happened with the modernist fundamentalist debate. That's why we're evangelicals today. We're evangelicals because we didn't want to be fundamental and we didn't want to be modern. We became evangelicals. Some of the things carry over. We're not looking at changing the name. That's not the point. The point is, will God be able to transform my heart and your heart? And these evangelicals, they're looking for love in the right place among the people of God. They're looking for love, but not finding it. And could it be that because of this, that some congregations are in danger of having their lampstands removed in the United States and ineffectiveness in the city? Right now, we know that many, many say, uh, many let us know that uh, American churches, American evangelical churches quite often are declining. And we wonder why that is, which, which really, that's not actually the, the full truth of it. American evangelical churches are not declining. White evangelical churches are declining. And it's because those persons, some people can't look at them and say, ah, there's love there. And so African-Americans say, well, I can't deal with this. I'll go back to my own. There was a book written called Reconciliation Blues, by the way, in 2007. I thought it was a great book, very gracious book. But it, but, uh, it talked about, all, uh, in 2007, talking about African-Americans who say, you know, I, this is not, I, I'd just rather go be with some people who, I can, who, is gonna, who are going to re respect me for who I am, right? It's not just African-Americans. Uh, but there are other people who look at our, in our evangelical 
world. Uh, the name is Reconciliation Blues, this book. It's, it's uh, Reconciliation Blues, uh, uh, a black man's, a black evangelical's view inside white Christianity. So that's why I'm talking about this book as evangelicals. And, and here you see a particular group of evangelicals who say, I don't want to be with this other group anymore. And why is that? Because they're not experiencing a kind of love from that particular group. And there's no listening going on to make this happen. It could be. It could be that this might be a reason why some churches could be having their lampstands removed or why the diminishing effect of evangelicalism is taking place, at least among white evangelical churches. We might want to consider that. Just as likely is the fact that churches grow. Here's another reason why the lampstand could be removed. Churches grow. Churches grow. And what simply happens is they find it more difficult to accept and to demonstrate love to newcomers. That loving the ones who are here now is easier than loving the ones who are coming in the future. Let me just say, I saw this quite easily in, when I used to live in New Orleans, and, uh, and I was a part of a, a thriving congregation, thriving congregation, probably 2,000-plus members, and, and I don't know, it's, it's a bit more today, I, I guess. They, they've branched out and done, they were only that one campus then. But what was interesting is the church was growing so fast that one, I'm thinking about one particular gentleman, who, who had real problems with that because every time he would, he would want to grow in relationship with a group of people, the way the church's model was, and it was actually a good model, but, and, yet, and this is part of the unintended consequences, the way the church's model was is that it would grow so fast, he didn't have time to hold on to the relationships we had because, he had because, because the group would have to multiply and go to another group. I mean, that's a good problem to have. I mean, you know, you want, you want that problem. You want like, hey, my church is growing fast, but you don't want people in the, in the meantime to be caught in the, in, the, in the spin cycle of, man, it's growing so fast, I can't even build relationships. But there was this sense that this person uh, had a harder time developing relationships with the newer people who were coming in. And that's just a fact of church growth, right? That we, we, we attempt to build systems so that we might love and do well loving people who are in our congregation. That was one of those moments. But in the New Testament church, they also had this same problem. We see it in Acts chapter 6 when Greek Jews and Hebraic Jews began living in community together. Once the church grew, they came together, and, 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 and then they had problems. That was the first time we saw an argument in the New Testament church. We see it in Acts chapter 10 when God had to literally come down and make Peter accept Cornelius and his family. Because the church was growing, and now these Gentiles were being added to the church. We see it in Acts chapter 15 when the Jewish believers rejected the Greek newcomers because they were living their Christian faith in a culturally different manner. And Paul, James, and Peter had to let these Jewish believers know that, people, that people's Christianity may not always look like yours, but they are to be accepted. We see that in Acts chapter 15. And while some say that's not about love, that's, that's, that's about law and grace and religion, I imagine that the Greek Christians in Acts chapter 15 could hardly tell the difference. When another group of believers decided that their faithful service and religion toward the Lord God was not good enough, no doubt it felt like a lack of love to them. And could it be that because of this lack of acceptance, some congregations are in danger of having their lampstands removed? 
Hear it from me today that if Christians don't demonstrate love for one another, we lose the very gravitas of a gospel message. We lose what Jesus Christ sought for on the cross and prayed for in John chapter 17, saying maybe they'll be one. May, be one, may they be one even as we are one. We sang it this morning. That's what Jesus wants. But Jesus doesn't leave the churches without hope. He says, if you turn back to love, you had it first. That is, loving all of God's people, that he'll grant you to eat from the heavenly tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The Bible tells us about that tree in Revelations 22 and 2, John, where John says, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And, and, and if that tree is in heaven, and that's what God wants to see in heaven, the healing of the nations. I suspect then that he wants to see it and wants us to strive to see it on earth today. That if we're going to show love toward the saints, part of it would, be, would then be to take our communities, whatever our, whether, whether it's Evanston Bible Church or the Evangelical Free Church of America or whatever Christian community you're a part of, it's God's hope that we would take our communities and see healing in other people's communities. That's God's desire. It's not just about you and me. It's about God bringing hope and light to the whole world. And yes, you have to learn to love people inside Evanston Bible Church. And yes, you have to learn to love people inside the Evangelical Free Church. But it's even more than that. God calls us to be the kind of people who love all the saints. And we ought to demonstrate that love by understanding what other communities might think of as love. And when we engage them, then we know how to love them best. No church is perfect with this. Every church has their own definition of what is excellent, and, and churches work very hard in the name of Christ. But with all that Evanston Bible Fellowship is as a church, can you be a church that chooses to love all who come in? You may not like people, but you can demonstrate choose and choose to love them. Let me offer you a definition of love, and then I'll be in my seat. Love would be then actively seeking to cultivate the best possible outcome of life for the other person, even at our own expense. That's what Paul said. In fact, he says, let each of you look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We have an example of that. We have a Lord who went to the garden and clearly said, I don't really want to do this. We have a Lord who shed his blood for people who didn't even like him. Paul said it best in Romans that even while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. That is, Christ showed us love. And if Christ did that for us, then may we learn to follow him and be imitators of him. As individuals, yes, but as our collective groupings, may we learn to do it for others. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we simply need you.
to show us how to love. But Lord, help us not to be lazy about it and to be mindful that you've left it in our power to love others. You've even said, Lord, that the glory that you were given, that you gave to the church so that we might be one, Lord. And, and, and I can't imagine, Lord, that you didn't give us the power then to love others. Help us to do it, Lord, in such a way where people will be attracted to the very gospel of Jesus Christ. In your son's name we pray. Amen.